This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by UFM Underwear. Head to UFMunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN for $5 off your purchase. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC, and he is back. Joining me this episode is Will Miles from ReadMeAction.com, and you can find him on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. Will, hopefully you have gotten a chance to rest up as we are now in uh, in full football mood. Not at all, Dave. <laughs> Not at all. Even vacations these days with three kids doesn't involve resting too much. So um, it was a good time, but uh, I'm going to need to sleep a little bit now that I've gotten back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, um, I've, it, we've hit full bore football mode at the TV station. So we have this Bold City Showcase that uh, has six high school teams that will uh, air on the same day as the Florida Miami game. So uh, we're getting prepped for that. So, you know, shooting footage and interviews for six high schools is uh, is a lot of work. I just got done with practice a little over like an hour and a half ago, came home, showered, and uh, here we are. Everybody's looking uh, at, at our beautiful faces. <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but you got to give the people what they want, Dave. So, and then they want Gator football, that's for sure. And we're only a couple of weeks out. And, you know, there were a couple of times I was talking about that this weekend with various people. And, and we're starting to really get excited that, that the season's going to start and we're leading it all off. And we get Miami to start with. And, uh, you know, so it's not some Charleston Southern opening game. It's, it's something that means something right away. And that's always fun to talk about. Absolutely. Absolutely there. So, yep, we'll uh, get into the episode here. Uh, plenty of topics on this episode of Gators Breakdown as we'll break down the Gators' schedule for this season, uh, what the Gators need to prove with that schedule, and we'll also go over a few fall camp notes as we're getting closer to the showdown with Miami. Remember, you can find Gators Breakdown on news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the episodes there. Also catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, when using their services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. And don't forget about the kickoff party August 17th at the Red Guild Bistro. August 17th, a week before Florida and Miami kick off the season. Free admission uh, will be food and drinks uh, that you can pay for there uh, as well. RSVPs out there on Twitter. Uh, but if you don't have Twitter or anything like that, you can reach out to me at Gators Breakdown at Gmail and let me know if you want to go. And one more thing, also get your Gators Breakdown gear at Squad Locker. Head over there, click on the top right of the screen, click on Find Your Store, and type in Gators Breakdown. And all the gear is available right there. Hats, shirts, polos, and more at Squad Locker. So we'll we'll dive into the episode here. And it always seems the Gators have a tough schedule. And that's pretty much what you get playing in the SEC year in and year out. Uh, The Gators played three teams ranked in the coach's poll that was released last week. Georgia at third. LSU's sixth, Auburn at sixteenth. Uh, we'll get the you know we'll get to those teams in, in just a bit and kind of where they're at on the schedule, of course. But we'll all eyes point to the Week Zero matchup with with, with Miami and this year the schedule. Um, you know the, this year the schedule was set up and and made up with the, the Big Three there. It, the schedule's bookended. You start the season with Miami and end it with FSU. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a, a general question about the schedule first. Do you like? opening up with a big name opponent in game one, or would you rather open up with a cupcake? 
Oh, I like opening up with a big game opponent, though. I think this one is a little bit outcome dependent, right? I mean, nobody liked opening up with Michigan a couple of years ago based on the outcome of that game. But you knew right where the team was right from the start, right? And I mean, I think you see this that the NFL, the preseason games are basically a waste of time. And I think those cupcake games are in generally felt in general, people feel the same way about those. And, and it's been reflected in the attendance the last few years for some of those games. So, um, you know, it's not a coincidence that Florida State's a home game. And so Miami is on the schedule. And two years ago, Florida State again was a home game. So you had Michigan on the schedule. I think it's, I think it's a good thing to get on the schedule, both from a, you know, just from a money making and an interest perspective, but also to really know where your team is. And it gives you ACC bragging rights, that's for sure, and recruiting bragging rights, especially with Miami. I'm not sure that Michigan gave you that much a couple of years ago, even if you won that one. But you know, this time you get Miami and FSU. Um, you sweep that and you should be able to sweep recruiting in the state. And that's really what you want to do if you're Florida, at least to really start making inroads on the recruiting trail. Yeah, absolutely there. And uh, it, a lot of people want to see Florida Miami play more. <laughs> and uh, so hopefully we, you know, I think they'll work that game into the schedule, but you, you've already seen some t- matchups announced later in years for, of course, Colorado and Texas uh, coming up. Uh, no, no mention of games kind of in between, uh, you know, the next five, six, seven years. So maybe Miami will get uh, thrust into uh, into that. But, you know, I, I don't like the cupcake games at all. So it's an easy answer for me. Uh, but, to, you know, to speak more to opening up with a big opponent, I, I really think it can it can spark a season. Go go and get a win early on. I think confidence levels can soar. Now, I, I guess it can go the other way, too, if you lose a game. And, of course, as you mentioned, you go back to the Michigan game in 2017. So many circumstances surrounding that game with the credit card scandal. And plus, the team just wasn't ready physically uh, for that game, especially what we see the team look like now. And then go back to what they look, back, look like in 2017. The team wasn't ready. Uh, at, at, at all there, so you know I don't that won't be an issue versus Miami. I, I think the risk is worth the reward, uh, and I know there there are always you know, first game suspensions, and that plays a part in taking a risk by playing these big opening games. But as as a fan, it gets me even more hyped for for a season. And looking at it from another angle, I think it can go a long way in setting up for a successful season. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we get to see these guys play twelve, maybe thirteen times a year. And so, you know, if you get to see him play Miami the first week in the year, a lot of people are going to be making that road trip to Orlando. A lot of people are excited about it and probably going to be partying around the state anyway. You get to trash talk on Twitter. So it really gets, I mean, if nothing else, there's a lot of visibility for the programs and, and visibility is a good thing. And it's not negative visibility, right? It's a positive visibility for, for both teams. So I think it's a positive thing. I, I just, I don't think there's really any negative to playing a strong schedule. If you, if you lose the game, then you played an opponent who beat you and that's exciting. Acceptable. If you loot, if you win the game, then like you said, it can be a springboard to something better for the year. And any even you know the out of conference schedule. When you're talking about a team that you know a lot of people have in the top ten, that means that if they can maybe pull an upset or two, then you're talking about a team that can make it in the playoffs. And the non-conference schedule starts to play a role then in that conversation. And, you know, you're not going to find many teams that have better non-conference schedules than Miami and Florida State on their schedule. Now, you, you know, Florida State's sort of in a rebuilding mode. So is Miami. But at the same time, who else is playing two traditional Power Five powerhouses from the state of Florida in their non-conference schedule? I think Florida's the only one who can boast that. And, and it's going to give them a leg up if they're able to pull an upset or two um, in some of the games later earlier in the season. And I'm glad you said that because that always comes up. Well, why doesn't Florida play Miami more? Why aren't they a, a permanent, you know, a, opponent on the schedule? But basically, pretty much why you just said it. You just explained it. Nobody else is out there playing 
those two teams every year, plus what you have to go through in the SEC. Don't get me wrong. Like as I said, I hate cupcake games, but also there's not many other teams that would put themselves at a disadvantage uh, of playing two power five out of conference teams every single season, plus what they're doing uh, in the SEC. Alabama, they have to go schedule um, you know, and, and out of conference opponent to open up the season with because they close the season with Auburn. They don't have the in state out of conference foe. They have to go get their out of conference, and you know that's usually toward the beginning of the year. Not many other teams uh, out there. South Carolina has a, a, an in state out of conference. You know, when they schedule somebody else too, it makes their schedule even tougher by having you know, two big time games that you have to count on. And I know around college football, we're seeing these tough schedules. Uh, because of you know that they're taking into account, you may need that schedule boost toward the end of the year. But you know, I don't want to hear a complaint that Florida Miami don't play every year when nobody else would put themselves at that disadvantage either. Now this year is a little bit unique too because you've got the three bye weeks. By playing that week zero game, you get that bye week before UT Martin. So if you can win the Miami game, then you're basically set up for an eleven game schedule starting with the cupcake. <laughs> Except you're already one and zero, but you've had that week to recover before you go into the SEC schedule. And then again, you've got two more weeks during the year to recover as well. So um, you know, for a team that I think most people think is going to be very very good in the starting twenty two, but may have some issues at depth in particular positions, those bye weeks are going to be important. And so, again, I think it's sort of those bye weeks and moving the game up a week for Miami does play a role in terms of uh, whether you would want it or not. But again, I'm always going to want the better games. Um, you know, I'd rather go I'd rather go nine and three and play tough games than go, to, you know, 11 and one and, and play nobody. Yeah, but um, I don't know. But it's, sometimes it's according if that 11 and one gets you into the playoff. <laughs> what well, only gets you into the playoff in the Pac 12, man, or the Big 12? <laughs> 11 and one with cupcakes ain't going to get you much of the SEC. So, um, you know, you're eventually going to have to beat somebody good to win the yeah. national title. And, yeah. and really, I think the SEC has sort of proven over the last 20 years, really, that playing in that conference, if, if you make it through that gauntlet, really proves something out. And it's not that the SEC wins every year, but, you know, again, over the last 20 years, certainly has been the dominant conference, especially when you start playing those big interconference games. Yeah, I always go back to uh, 2006, 2008. Florida had some pretty tough schedules, when they was the, and they were able to, to you know, kind of go through that schedule, even with a loss, uh, and make their way to Atlanta and make their way to the BCS championship. Uh, there, so you, you most of the time that were you know, when I've looked going into seasons and say, man, that schedule is really tough. Uh, I'll, I went back to 2006, go to 2008, said the same thing going into those seasons, and it eventually just worked itself out. Where if you're the better team, you're going to come out uh, on top, no matter the schedule here. So, well, let's get into uh, kind of some schedule specifics, specifics here, and how we kind of see it in the key game. And I'm going to start. I'm, I'm going to start with that Miami game as being the key game of the season for me. It is the opening game. Uh, you would beat a rival that you have struggled against in, in recent games, beating an in-state rival, kind of like what you were pointing to. If you can book in those season by beating Miami, by beating FSU, uh, you know, it really supplants. You know, you would have two wins over FSU in a row uh, there. But if you, you also can say, well, we got a win versus Miami too. We are the you know premier program out of the big three here, uh, and also the Mullen versus Manny storyline. Uh, I think it's the key game here too, and, and Manny Diaz being under Dan Mullen uh, in his stint at Mississippi State. He, you can't you can't lose to a guy who hasn't coached a game yet, who hasn't been a head coach with the 
the the rapport, the repertoire, uh, the reputation that you have for being a, a head coach. I think this is key for Mullen as well to, to get a, a good first win uh, of the season with all the expectations uh, going around to this season and, and the expectations of you should also be able to be a beat a first time uh, head coach and also kind of just to help the team out. I think give this offense some confidence early on in the season versus a pretty good defense. I mean, we, we have some questions uh, about the offensive line and can they hold up? You're coming off of you know two 40 point performances in the last two games of last year. Last year, not necessarily know if I expect 40 points again, but if you go down to Orlando and put up a you know 30 points on a on a pretty good Miami defense here uh yeah then I you know I think there's a, a lot to point to this game as a key game because I think it sets up so much for the rest of the season yeah I mean those are all really good reasons to to point to that the only thing that I would say to counter that is that you can lose to Miami and still win the national championship and I think you know for the most part you can say that about the games that are coming up later in the schedule but the key game I always have is LSU it's always the key game. We talked about it last year quite a bit. It's just the hinge moment in in the uh, in the in the Gator schedule. You, you're you're coming in there. Maybe you've lost one game. If you lose the second game, pretty much you're out of the running for for the national championship. If you win that game, you're still in it. And if you come into it undefeated and you win it, then you might even be able to lose one coming home and still be able to make it into the playoffs. Especially now that they've expanded out to four, you know, over the last five or six years. So to me, that LSU game is always the one where I look at it and say, that's where I get to really take a gauge on whether Florida has a championship level team or whether Florida has a team that's just going to maybe, I mean, a new year six bowl game or whether they're going to be a team that's going to be in the citrus bowl or, or the, or the outback bowl or something like that. So um, to me, that's always the key game. It's the fulcrum. It's where you really know what you've got, you know, and Auburn's going to teach us a little bit. Miami's going to teach us a little bit, but I think once you start playing LSU and sort of in that stretch, LSU, South Carolina, Georgia, that's really when you find out who you got. Yeah, I mean, you can go back to that game and especially the history. And I went back to, you know, just d- discussing that 2006 and 2008 year, you know, when Florida was able to beat LSU in, in 2006 and Jamarcus Russell comes in there, you know, leading that LSU team. You're all right. Once Florida won that game, I was like, OK, this this team is serious. This this team ha- has everything it takes to, to, to go make a run. And 2008, you know, you got beat by Ole Miss. And I think Arkansas was the next game, but then the next home game. Uh, was LSU and it was a night game on CBS and in you know, 2008 the LSU is coming off of the national championship season in, in, in 2007 there you fast forward a year and, and LSU is coming to the swamp and I, the tip passed to Percy Harvin and he's off to the races for for a touchdown uh, and what Florida won that game and won it in the fashion and the style that they did you knew that Florida team was going to be some something to be reckoned with you know, b- bouncing off of that old Miss loss and you knew they maybe just rallied the troops and and, and you know just kind of come together for a run that they eventually made. So yeah, you can point to big, you know, the last two national championship teams to really kind of show and prove how improve it, uh, how important that LSU game is. Yeah. And I mean, both of those, those two you cited in 06 and 08 were both home games. This one's on the road. And again, if you, if you really know what kind of team you have, if you can go into death Valley and what probably is going to be a night game and you can take on a team like LSU and come out with a win. I mean, LSU is a very, very good team. There's no doubt about that. And so when you go in there and you can take them on at their own home field and win that game, it says a lot about your team. So that's the one that I'd point to as the key game. But certainly I understand why why people would say Miami. And, and I, there are a lot of good arguments there, too. All right. So you and I, we talked behind the scenes yesterday and we we, we see there's we think there's an, a difference a difference between key and important. And, you know, a key game 
you know, we kind of just described it there. Uh, it, it can set you up for things, but I still think the most important game, and this is for me almost every year anyway, just, just because of who I am, is the Georgia game. And for me, it's so important this year because it is time to beat them after the last two seasons and, and what they've you know, done, done to Florida the last two years. A, a win probably keeps Georgia from an SEC championship appearance, a college football playoff spot, and another year without a national championship. <laughs> it'd be, and you know, it'd be tough for the loser of this game to represent the East if both teams played to up their ability everywhere else on the on the schedule. A head-to-head win will go a long way in who represents the East. You know, and also maybe you know put more doubt out there that Curry Smart can can you know can can't win given all the talent that he brings in year after year. Uh, Georgia fans, you know, ranked third. Uh, this team's ranked third, and fans, you know, are really pointing to this year to to maybe upending Alabama. Finally, you go in and you, to Jacksonville and you beat Georgia. That puts doubt again around the nation that Kirby Smart, you know, just can't live up to the talent expectation that he that he's bringing in uh, every year. So. You know, Mullen, he, he struggled versus Smart and needs to show he can get a win versus him. I think has just some psyche there uh, maybe as well. So, you know, with, with – you probably, you know, you can probably afford a loss sometime this season there. But to, to, to Georgia, I don't think you can accept a loss to them this year and – Try to say all your goals are in front of you without maybe uh, maybe some help. You know it's time for Florida to to change the narrative that Georgia is the beast of the East. You know in Florida that that Florida has the best chance of supplanting uh, Georgia from the from the top of the SEC East. Yeah, I mean I, I think if it, the narrative changes a little bit for me if Florida comes into that game eight no, I mean if it's two eight no teams playing against <laughs> against in that Georgia game, then obviously that's the most important game. I I think. I think there's a couple of things there. One is that George is going to be a pretty significant favorite in that game. And I think they probably should be based on they've got a third year quarterback who's outperformed Florida's quarterback thus far. They've got more talent sort of across the board than Florida does. And really what we're, what we're sort of banking on is that Mullen's going to be a better coach than smart and that he's going to be able to outcoach him and, and that the players are going to, come come into that game and play beyond their abilities and and the floor is going to pull out a win and i think there's a chance that they're, they'll do that and probably you know 70 30 something like that but at the end of the day 70 30 i don't want to say that's the most important game on the schedule i think you can lose to georgia and still accomplish the things you need to accomplish this year and if you if you run the rest of the if you run the table the rest of the way and and that's why i sort of think that fsu is the most important game and i think fsu is really the most important game every year because if you keep your in-state rivals down, you should be able to dominate the state in recruiting. And if you can dominate the state in the recruiting, then you can build up the talent base to take on Georgia every year. And that's really, I think, what you need. You know, FSU is one of the big rivalries. FSU, Georgia, and Tennessee were the ones that Urban Meyer always pointed to. I think maybe it's changed to FSU, Georgia, and LSU now that uh, now that Tennessee's been down for a while. But you know, FSU to me is always the one where you look at it and say those are the players you're competing against um, when in recruiting. Those are the guys that that your guys are playing against in high school. And so to me, that that's the one that always sort of. Um, it takes the takes the most precedence, even though you know. Again, I hate George as much as you do, Dave. But um, 
<laughs> but, but to me, it's just FSU is the one where it sort of, again, sort of tells you the direction your program's going. Um, that win last year against FSU really took the sting of the Georgia loss out of everybody's mouth, especially with the continuation of the bowl game with Michigan. Um, you know, I don't know that a win against Georgia, if, if Florida hadn't made the SEC championship game and then it lost to Florida State, how does it last year feel? I'm not exactly sure, but I know we come into this game with more hope sort of because of the upward trajectory of the program and the way Frank's played those last four games. And so, again, I think FSU is probably the most important one. I just think for as good as Georgia is predicted to be and just kind of the all the offseason rivalry talk and the back and forth between the two programs and, and the two head coaches, that Georgia game probably holds a little more weight uh, for me. Now, I remember asking the question probably about this time a couple years ago going into McIlwain's last year, you know, what would be more important or what the fans want to see the most is that that beat FSU or beat Georgia. Well, we were coming off, you know, beating Georgia. So, of course, the answer was beat FSU because it hadn't happened in a while. Uh, now, it probably would be interesting if I threw that poll up there again, what, uh, what fans would say. That might be the next poll I throw up there is uh, – with, what would fans want more this year to, to beat FSU or to beat Georgia? But uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you do beat Georgia and lose to FSU, that would kind of be it would be a hard pill to swallow and maybe hold you from from other you know from, from other things as well. And I do like the the point that you made. If if you beat FSU and recruit the way you're supposed to in state, then that is should be enough to go a long way in, in the state of Florida recruits. And we've talked enough. And in the last episode, too, I posted yesterday uh, with Brett Ciancia from Pick, Pick Six Previews, how much he was also saying how you know the state of, uh, of Florida has got to come back around to the big three schools are the ones that are holding the talent in the state. And if that's going to be the case, then that Florida FSU matchup absolutely means a, a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. It always does but maybe even to be that most important game of the season because you can build your roster that way. Well, I mean, I think we're splitting hairs a little bit, right? Because if Florida Florida beats Georgia, then obviously that has major implications for the program and the direction that's heading and really sort of how things are looked at by recruits and, and that sort of stuff. So it's not that it's a big deal. I think it's that, you know, I want to guard against saying that's the benchmark because I think if you take a look at the recruiting numbers and you take a look at the way Mullen is is building the program, you have to say that he's building it in a way that's different than some of his predecessors. And so to say, hey, the expectations are a national championship this year. Hey, if he gets there, that's great. I'm rooting for him. But I think you can also say that Florida is the underdog in that particular case. And whereas I think Florida is the favorite against Florida State this year, and I think it's important to keep your foot on their throat. I just think you know you let a, and and the podcast yesterday was excellent. You guys were talking a lot about how Miami, Florida State, and Florida, you know, it always seems to rotate. And one of them is always up, and then two of them are always sort of down, and it rotates, and then one ends up on top. And, you know, Florida needs to rotate and be up on top. And to do that, they have an opportunity this year, right? I mean, you beat Miami by 40, and you beat Florida State by 30. And, I mean, who's who's going to those two over, over coming to Mullen at Florida at that point? So, I, I, again, I think a lot of it has to do with, with – um, the way the season goes. I mean, if Florida comes in eight and no against Georgia, obviously that's the most important game. Of the year. <laughs> if they come in at six and two, then, you know, I, I think Florida state becomes the one where you look at and say, that's the one we want to get because it helps us build to where we're going. Yeah. I think this next one might be pretty easy uh, here, but the key stretch uh, and I'm going, you know, a four game stretch that's in the middle of the season. Uh, we might can define stretch in, in a different way, but, 
And I don't think there's a set number for it. But, of course, that Auburn at LSU, at South Carolina, Georgia stretch, there is a bye week in between South Carolina and Georgia, of course. Uh, you have to walk out of there at least three and one if you know, and, and if you're undefeated going in, going in to that Auburn game, you know every goal is you know more than likely uh, attainable here, even with a loss. If that loss is to Georgia, as I mentioned, you, it might be more difficult since you know since they're in the division would hold a tiebreaker here uh, with a head-to-head win. But that that key stretch there, it's going to make or break the, the Gator season. Uh, I, I think. Yeah, we, we last year you had that mid-season stretch where you had two straight losses to, to Georgia and Missouri. You still found a way to rally the troops and ended up having a good year. But you have that four-game stretch here. You leave that stretch three and one, and I tell you, it, everything is still in front of you for for the most part. If you're going into that stretch undefeated, uh, you got some big wins on the resume with Auburn, LSU, South Carolina, Georgia. Uh, there, if you go four and zero, three and one at toward the end of the season, nobody can sit there and shame Florida for the schedule. Uh, you know, if, if those teams kind of live up to, to their billing, of course, you know, Auburn, a lot of question marks at quarterback, LSU returns a whole lot of offensive talent there, uh, returning talent all, the, all across the board. You have to go on the road uh, to Baton Rouge, South Carolina, you know, some a team that uh, maybe could have, should have, would have beat Florida last year. And, and then, of course, we've talked plenty about the Georgia game. So that stretch right there, I think, is the key stretch of the season for the Gators. Yeah, I mean, I think that one's pretty obvious, right? Yeah. The only thing you maybe take out of there is maybe you don't have Auburn as part of that key stretch just yeah. because it's road, road neutral against LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia. And those are the three best quarterbacks that Florida's going to play. They're the three guys who rated out in in yards above replacement, which is what I used to rate out quarterbacks. Joe Burrow rated basically, basically equivalent to Felipe Franks. Jake Bentley was better and Jake Fromm was considerably better. So not only do you have these games on the road against high quality opponents, but you've also got them against quarterbacks who have shown an ability to pick apart defenses. And, and in some cases have shown an ability to pick apart Florida's defense when it comes to Bentley and, uh, and, and from. So, um, you know, there, I'm actually gonna have an article coming out in the next week or so talking about the types of offenses that give um, Todd Grantham trouble and really the quarterback position is the key to that and uh an lsu south carolina and georgia have those guys who have some experience and again the game being on the road i think is a determining factor there too so like you said if they can come out of their three and one out of that auburn to georgia stretch i think people be really really happy i think even two and two is something where you look at it and say hey that that was a pretty decent gauntlet Mm -hmm. and now we recover against vanderbilt missouri and hopefully florida state well is it also pretty obvious missouri is the trap game I mean, we, we have to keep looking at that team and what they've done to Florida since they've come into the SEC. I believe it's uh, – how many years? So 2012, 2018. So it's close to a 500 record, I, I believe, uh, against Missouri since they've entered the SEC. And it's just a team that, you know, for whatever reason, gives Florida so much trouble. Uh, 2012 was such a good year for Florida, but it was a, you know, a, a, a down-to-the-wire game against Missouri – um, last year, of course, the, the the onslaught that came in the week after Georgia and, and with Drew Locke and that offense was able to do uh, there. I mean, it's the, that that game against Missouri. I hate to call it a trap game just because of what that team has done to Florida, but where it is in the schedule, uh, it could be a you know cold November day when when the Gators travel to Columbia and, and kind of the definition of a trap game. 
Yeah, that's not really the one I have picked out. I mean, so you've got so one of the reasons is Kelly Bryant. I, I think he's okay. I don't think he's great. You know, you think of him and you think, hey, he's a real athletic quarterback who can run all over the place, and those guys give Florida trouble. But you look at his stats two years ago when he was the start of the whole year, 192 rushes for 665 yards. So he only averaged three and a half yards per rush. Felipe Franks averaged three point two last year. So you're not talking about somebody who was significantly better than Franks at running the ball. And, you know, those are the guys who give Florida trouble. I actually have Tennessee as the one that would, would make me a little bit worried, um, mainly because you're coming off of a, probably what's going to be an emotional win against Kentucky. And that sounds weird, but I know that these guys want to atone for that loss last year. They're going to be on the road against Kentucky. They will have come off of that Miami game, had a pretty decent break against with the bye week and UT Martin. They come out jacked for the Kentucky game. And then you come back home against Tennessee, and I think Tennessee still thinks it's a rivalry, but people are asking the Florida players whether it's a rivalry, and they're sort of saying, eh, it's any other game. And and so that's the one I'd look at. And that doesn't mean I think Florida will lose, but I think it's a it's a game where you can see Florida coming out flat early. And, you know, you can't afford to come out flat against teams that are that are decent. I think Tennessee's decent. Particularly, again, I mentioned guys with experience. Guarantano wasn't great last year, but he's now coming into his third year being the starting quarterback. And I think, you know, that kind of experience can help him on a, in a road game where, you know, maybe maybe the team comes out a little bit flat. Well, yeah, I just mentioned that key stretch here. And South Carolina can be considered a trap game there, too. When you travel to Baton Rouge and you have a bye week and then Georgia – you know, they're sandwiched in there between LSU and Georgia there. So you go to Baton Rouge and, you know, maybe come back with a victory there. I could see an easy – I could see a team easily overlooked, uh, South Carolina, uh, there, and a team that will probably be trying to look for wins any way they can get them with the schedule that they have this year. Uh, I can see I can see that game being a trap game as well. Yeah, well, and you figure that they'll come in pretty jacked after last year's game yeah. swamp last year too. You know, I mean, the, it, we talk about Florida being being excited for the Kentucky game to sort of redeem themselves. I think South Carolina really felt like they had an opportunity to bank a mark last year, and then and then blew that big lead in the swamp to Florida, which turned both seasons, you know, both team seasons sort of in the opposite direction. I think South Carolina would point to the fact that they didn't have any healthy defensive backs as a reason for that, and and Florida would sort of point towards the evolution of Felipe Franks as the reason for that. But irrespective of that, I, I do think South Carolina will come in. And again, a veteran quarterback in Jake Bentley. And, and you know, Muschamp's defenses are always pretty decent. So um, I, I think there are a lot of places where basically you look at any time you're coming off of a big game and say, hey, that could be a trap game if you come out flat. It's hard to come out flat in a road environment like South Carolina because that place, unless South Carolina is like, you know, two and four at that point or two and five at that point, I can't imagine that the uh, that the atmosphere will be anything other than crazy. And so um, I, I don't know. I expect him to come out pretty strong in that one, especially with with a week off coming up after that. You know, the, nobody's really looking ahead to Georgia because they're looking ahead to, you know, hanging out with their family or something. <laughs> all right then uh so we, we knew this episode was gonna be a whole lot about schedule talk so i wanted to ask our listeners out there you know what did the gators have to prove this year uh, in 2019 and we kind of just looked at the schedule here uh to give you know some thought and insight uh, of uh you know maybe what the gators need to prove and a lot of us because of the schedule and what did the gators uh need to get out of 2019 i'll start with zachary garner here it says that two, that two years in the same system and strength and conditioning program can amount to continued improvement on both sides of the ball. Not so much that we have to win 11 games, but that we win games easier, score earlier, more often, and get the passing game rolling in SEC play. 
Will, we go back to when Jim McElwain was the head coach at Florida. And I think for two seasons in a row, 2016 season and the 2017 season, the magical word was was progress. We wanted to see progress. Well, coming off of the 10-win season and Dan Mullen's first season, there's you know there's still progress that can be made, and, and Zachary just pointed to some par- parts right there. You know maybe you know winning winning games in, in, in a better fashion, and where you know you don't get off to slow starts, you control the game all throughout. Maybe that's one part of the really progress we can look forward to in this year's Gator team. Yeah, I mean, you've mentioned before getting off to better starts. And even, I mean, the games against Florida State and Michigan, which turned out to be laughers, were games where at halftime you didn't know who was going to win. You know, it was a really close game, and then Florida was able to really sort of open it up in the third quarter and and take advantage of some of the the things that we saw in the first half. But those games were relatively close. Against Kentucky, you kind of felt like they would put their foot on the gas Mm -hmm. and just were never able to. And then, you know, against Mississippi State, it was sort of a rock fight. So, um, you know, Florida went 3-0 in one-score games last year. Those things tend to even themselves out over time. That doesn't mean they'll go 0-3 this year, but it means that if they have three or four of those, you know, let's say they have four of them, they'll probably go 2-2 and just because that tends to be what happens in those one-score games. So the more they can avoid those one-score games by in blowouts against teams where they're physically and, and talent-wise superior, the better off they are. I mean, last year, South Carolina, they had way more talent, but had to come storming back on the backside. Vanderbilt, same thing. It sort of required ejections and coaches yelling at each other to get everybody <laughs> juiced for that game. I mean, Missouri, they have more talent than Missouri, and they got run off the field. So, um, you know, again, I, I think that, it, it absolutely makes sense that they need to sort of announce their presence of authority against teams that are less talented. And then, you know, against teams that are equivalently talented or more talented, you, you go out there and give it your best shot. And if the other team beats you, you just tip your hat to them. All right. Let's get some more tweets here. Uh, very simple for Tony Aguilini, Will. He says, beat Missouri. So he gets uh, that's uh you know, some things, you know, Florida fans definitely want to see is as, as we just kind of mentioned earlier and talking about the, the thorn in the side the Missouri tar- Tigers are uh, for the Gators. Uh, Kevin Rowell, uh, he says, consistently built off the strides made last season. Show me that they can uphold the Gators standard. And that last season wasn't a fluke. Win the games we should win and take two out of three between Auburn, LSU, and Georgia and get, and get things really interesting. And, Will, that's kind of going to that one the for, the beat Missouri was part of it uh, there from, from Tony and also saying this one, win the games we should win. That's the, that's the thing I, I'm picking as what the Gators must prove the most for me in 2019 is go win the games you're supposed to win. You don't need to, you know, you don't get it. That, the game, yes, the streak versus Kentucky was eventually going to happen at some point. You don't, you're not going to beat a team like that. I doubt it happens again. You beat another SEC team 30 years, 31 years in a row. That's, that's very rarely happened. And wh- one reason why it was one of the longest streaks in the nation there. Uh, but, you know, the Missouri game, of course, that, that's brought up and needs to be taken care of. Vanderbilt, you know, they don't need to be struggling against a team like that. It is. Go beat the team. Because if, if, if Florida, the way we look at it right now, if Florida takes care of the teams that we think they're supposed to take care of, then there's 10 wins. Right there. And then you got to figure out what you can do versus LSU and Georgia. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it's a matter of consistency, right? That the maddening thing last year was you felt like the team took two steps forward and then they immediately took four steps back. Um, and, or at least that's how it felt against Georgia. I mean, in Georgia in the first half, they they hung with them a little bit. And then in the second half, Georgia was able to run away with it as, as the mistakes mounted. Um, you know, Missouri, they're just 
it it was never close and and that's frustrating when you sit there and watch that because you're sitting there going you know you know your team's more talented and even in the first half against and, and some of the third quarter against South Carolina you felt the same way so really it's a matter of you know I, I don't know that you need spectacular you need steady and consistent the whole way through you can't have blown coverages you can't get out of gaps on the defensive side you can't have guys just streaking down the field wide open for easy pitch and catch touchdowns that our team doesn't get <laughs> so we, we can't have those sort of sort of blown coverages and, and those sorts of things you can't miss open guys downfield when they're wide open um like they have and like they did in some of the games last year so again I, I think it sort of speaks to gator fans wanting to see consistency not necessarily spectacular just consistency and then you hope that that consistency over over time um, rises up to spectacular and then you've got a consistent, consistent winner. Yeah. I mean, a lot of fans uh, read the tweets here. They kind of speak to that point uh, as well. Allie Pete Wilbur says, win the games they should uh, Kentucky, Missouri, et cetera, be competitive in every game. I'm not sure our record improves easier to go from four wins to 10 than 10 wins to 11, but I test improvement is, is necessary. Uh, Lucas Mann says, are the Gators on the dog's level yet? And if not, how wide uh, is that gap? That's an interesting one, Will. Of course, we, we've talked plenty about Georgia earlier in, in the episode, but you know, a lot of fans are going to point to that game as a, as a measuring stick, as a proving point for, for 2019, just because you know that's the, that, that's the hurdle Florida has to get over this season. Absolutely. I mean, it'd be the same thing if you were playing Alabama, right? I mean, you want to you want to know how you how you measure up against the best and and against the teams that are predicted to win. And obviously, you want to beat them. But if you lose by a touchdown or you lose by four touchdowns, I'm not sure it really matters. I mean, maybe it matters from an optics perspective where you just say, oh, God, like we're not even close. But I mean, end of the day, a loss is a loss. <laughs> and, you know, you lose by one on a last minute field goal. Do you feel any better? Chances are I feel like I got kicked in the gut even harder at that point. So, um, you know, I. Yes, it's a little bit of a measuring stick, but I, I think you know Georgia has a third has a third year starting as a third year starting quarterback who's had his team either in the playoffs or close to the playoffs the last couple of years. Um, they're a really good team, and and so losing to them, I don't think there's a lot of shame in losing to a team that's good like that. Now, you know, I mean, obviously we want to keep the 1980 streak going so we can keep trolling their fans, but at the end of the day, you, you can't look at the team and say they're not a good team. Um, and in fact, I think even like the transfer of fields may end up being a good thing because you don't have a quarterback controversy or any of the stuff that goes along with that. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's a measuring stick. You want to see where you're at. But I, I think it's just because if you lose to them, it doesn't say anything bad about the team other than, you know, you just have to get better. And I think we all know that. Yep. I, uh, that, that is a measuring stick, uh, of course, for for many out there. Uh, a few more thoughts here at the IGYB100. Uh, he says need, need to see more consistency in general. Starts, finishes, and overall performance need to be consistent. Last year, I get growing pains and maybe even the whole home. We lost our shot at a championship hangover. Zero percent excuses this year. Second year in the system has to show. So, well, I also look at this second year in the system, second year in the system with some expectations. We, we've had plenty of, uh, of talk in the offseason about the expectations Florida's going to face this year. Uh, and, and you can go back to last year, that Kentucky game. I do think there were some growing pains and Dan Mullen learning what he had on offense and learning out what, what, what Felipe Franks could handle early on in the season. You had some players out for that game as well. As I mentioned, there, that game, that streak was going to end at some point. And if you go back and look at that Kentucky game and see how it played out and see what was available on the field, you can see why it turned out that way. 
Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, part of it is, is that Franks wasn't really confident with what he was doing at the offense. Part of it was the offensive line wasn't real comfortable with what they were doing. Um, I think part of it is, is that they, they panicked a little bit once they fell behind and realized that it was a real game, that it wasn't something where it was going to be, where it was going to be a huge issue or, you know, where they were just going to be able to roll over them. And, and then part of it is just, you know, when you get hit in the mouth, sometimes you don't respond real well and you got to recover. I think that's maybe the most important thing to take from that entire, from that entire escapade from that Kentucky game is just, they get hit in the mouth. They weren't able to recover for that game, but they were able to recover in the season. I think that says something about the character of the players and says something about Mullen and his staff's ability to work through adversity with the players. And, and, and I think that speaks positively to the way the program is going in the direction of the program. And I think what we're hoping to see maybe this year is that when you get hit in the mouth in the first or the second quarter, that you've got the adjustments in the third and the fourth quarter to be able to come out and make a difference as opposed to having to wait a couple of weeks to, you know, sort of allow the players to to pick those things up. So, you know, last year in Kentucky, I'm not sure they necessarily had the the levers to pull to make changes in the second half after playing in that first half and seeing some of the things Kentucky was doing. This year, I think they have the levers to pull. And I think we saw that last year late in the season against South Carolina, Florida State, and Michigan. You know, the, the negative way of looking at those games is in the first half, Florida struggled on offense. The positive way to look at it is they made adjustments and then and then beat the hell out of them in the second half. So, um, you know, hopefully that's what we see coming out. You know, just the ability to make adjustments and that mental toughness, I think, is an important thing to take note of. Yeah, I think so, too. And uh, two more thoughts here that go along kind of with each other. And an interesting point, Will, is uh, Nicholas Goldsmith at GatorFan691 says, the need to prove that this is long-term success is not and not a one-hit season, a la McElwain and Muschamp, speaking about more consistency here. Uh, Kevin Harris also says that last season wasn't a fluke or a joke, that we – are indeed on the right path. Also, how we respond to after adversity, adversity in the aftermath of the Georgia game cost us against uh, Missouri. And you know, I, I do like in the fact that a lot of fans want to see consistency because we were burnt by the 2012 season of uh, of Will Muschamp and the, the the fast start under Jim McElwain, only to get you know toward the end of his first two seasons there get waxed by Florida State and Alabama in the SEC championship game, kind of, you know, some false bravado going into the late in the season uh, for, from those teams before it all come crashing down in, in 2017. So, yeah, if Florida goes out there and wins 10, 11 games again this year, I don't see how fans can't be excited for the long-term success uh, of the Gators under Dan Mullen. Yeah, but, I mean, even so, I, I think if Florida goes 9-3, and three, I think that's a possible outcome. I think Florida goes nine and three, but they're a better team. I think that still says something positive about the entire, about the team and the way it's going and the trajectory. I mean, one of the things I'd look at, cause you want to see them improve, um, in the areas where you think they maybe were deficient and say, mm-hmm. Hey, that's, that's an area where they've been able to improve. The one place I'd really look at and point out is penalties. So two years ago in Mac under McElwain, they were 129th out of 130 FBS teams and penalties per play last year. They were 125th Mississippi state averaged over Mullen's time 44th. So the penalties, the false starts, all those things that sort of put you behind the eight ball on offense. Um, those are the sorts of things that Florida needs to avoid this year. And I think if they can avoid, if they can sort of, you know, make those improvements on the margins, you end up with a team that's better than nine and three. But if they, you know, again, they went three and zero in one score games. They, one game goes a, a different way. I, I think about the 2016 with the Auburn, you know, Chris Leak, the fumble mm. that wasn't really a fumble, but you know, that, 
that play goes Auburn's way. Auburn wins that game. Um, you know, again, if something like that happens this year and Florida ends up nine and three, the missed field goal last year against Kentucky. Um, again, the missed field goal against Kentucky uh, in quotes, air, air um, quotes, in, in air quotes, you know, I mean, those sorts of things happen when you get into close games. And so um, again, I think, we want to see consistency. We want to see progress. I think that means you see an opening up of the playbook. You see Felipe Franks much more consistent on a week-to-week basis, having an ability to throw downfield with more accuracy. And and if those things happen, I think you have a better team. But they're playing a tougher schedule this year. And so, you know, 9-3, and 10-2, and 11-1, those are all very, very good outcomes. Yeah, so many people uh, sent their thoughts on on that question. I'm so glad you did. Uh, a lot of it was the the same type of uh, want to see consistency, uh, beat the teams that we're supposed to beat uh, there. So thanks to everybody out there who who sent their who sent their replies. If I went through all of them, we'd probably be here till two o'clock in the morning. So uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, we have time for that one. But thanks to everybody who sent them. I, I tried to get some people in there who haven't been. I uh, mentioned on there before, but uh, as I said, fans podcast. So keep sending uh, all your thoughts and ask those questions out there and, and we'll get them out here. Before we move on, guys, you have got to try UFM underwear. Don't worry. You won't see me modeling in any underwear. You don't need that. But what you do need is a pair of UFM underwear. Underwear for men is the only brand of men's underwear that offers both isolation and support. Unlike other pouch underwear brands that have thin mesh panels or pre-sized pouches, Underwear for Men's patented pending design prevents skin-on-skin contact and eliminates chafing. UFM underwear is designed to move with your body so you can easily go from one activity to the next without ever having to think about your underwear. At least until it's time to order some more. The state of Florida company has you covered no matter the activity. Everyday underwear, athletic underwear, work underwear, medical underwear, Underwear for men is made for it all. Try your pair now. Head over to ufmunderwear.com and use promo code BREAKDOWN to get $5 off your pair. UFM Underwear, support your manhood. Before we wrap up, Will, uh, some fall camp notes. And so now we're recording this on Monday night of August 5th. And the Gators just finished holding their first fall scrimmage. That, uh, that was close to the media. So, uh, we, you know, so everything discussed here is dating back to the weekend. Uh, and so John Huggins still not practicing. Will, uh, CJ McWilliams missed the last open practice as well. Rumors of an injury there. Uh, Brad Stewart was seen leaving practice with a towel over his head last week. Wasn't like the, wasn't at the latest open practice either. So with all that, you know, this, uh, this is a secondary that is missing some experience, uh, Huggins, a player we were looking for uh, as a versatile piece in that uh, backfield, also backing up Trey Dean at star. Mick Williams, a, a player for depth and one we hope could improve on last season. And Brad Stewart, who missed time last season for off-the-field issues, and he's one of the better playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Will, they're not they're, they're, they're not practicing right now. And you know, there's not a lot of clear answers as far as what's going on. Uh, Dan Mullen does have a presser, uh, a press conference on uh, Tuesday. So we'll see if anything comes from that. But, you know, if, if this continues, and it looks like we'll see more of true freshman Kyrie Elam, Chester Kimbrough, Jadon Hill, as the staff may not be able to depend on some of the flexibility and versatility that they were planning on having this year. Uh, not many options behind Dean uh, at the nickel star spot right now. I'm all right, Bernie played there some last season. So, you know, could they find another linebacker to play his spot, allowing him to slide over if he's needed there? You know, I don't think that would be the case unless the staff absolutely needs that to happen. But, 
not a lot of depth uh, in the secondary right now with those three players uh, you know, not, not at practice uh, as far as last what we saw toward the end of last week. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. In February, you would have looked at it and said, that's the place where Florida can afford some attrition. And they can't afford attrition anymore because they've basically had their fill of it based on transfers and injuries and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I'm sure Mullen will shed some light on it, though I kind of expect him to say, next guy up. And, you know, we're, we're confident in the guys we have and, and that they'll step up. But, you know, the nice part is, is that they are playing Miami to open the year. And, and Perry <laughs> averaged 5.7 yards per throw last year. And Tate Martell is unproven. And, and who knows gonna, who's going to actually be the quarterback there. So I do think they probably have a little bit of time to get to get things straight. But, again, you, you bust a coverage and just about any quarterback can hit that kind of throw. So um, they're going to have to make sure those new guys come in and get coached up and have the ability to go out there on the field because, you know, God forbid something happens to one of the starters and you're really thin there on the back end. Yeah, you know, we learned our lesson last year when, when, when the starters were out there and, and what it can cost uh, out there. So I think we, we're we confident eventually in what Kyrie Elam and Chester Kimbrough and Jadon Hill will become. But as you said, you're two freshmen out there, then, uh, you know, you don't know, uh, you know, some big plays uh, can happen there. So will one, I think uh, that will make a, a lot of fans happy. And some, some things we saw there are highlights, uh, of the last open practice during out there, Kadarius Tony's taking handoffs, and that's something we expected. But uh, also get to see Jacob Copeland, Copeland getting involved in the backfield and taking handoffs as well. And I think he's someone we all saw being able to play that role uh, in, in the offense where you can line him up wide, also in the slot, uh, from the slot in motion into the backfield, take a handoff. But this is the first time we've actually seen anything in, in, in that regard. We, we've said before, uh, but you know, and seeing you know where Florida has so many options uh, at, at receiver and at running back, they're tinkering in, in different ways to get them the ball. Yeah, well, in some respects, I think you kind of have to because of the way the transfer portal's set up at this point. You can't just tell somebody he's going to wait until he's a redshirt junior to play. It doesn't work that way. So you got to find a way to get him the ball. And, and you know, we got to be honest, too. Kadarius Tony isn't the biggest guy in the world, so you have him back there in the backfield. He gets dinged a little bit. You want to be able to bring Copeland in and have somebody to be able to back him up. I, I, I do wonder, though, I mean, you know, Florida's running backs are also a strength of that offense. I mean, you got P. Ryan, you got Pierce, you, you got all sorts, you got Clement, you got all sorts of guys, but you got Malik Davis coming back from injury. You got all sorts of guys back there. And, you know, obviously if you're giving the ball to Copeland, then you're not giving it to P Ryan. You're not giving it to Davis. And uh, so we'll have to see what Mullen has in store. I do think that one of the things that he tries to do is get a schematic advantage. I mean, if you put, he did it last year against Michigan in a little bit different way where he had P Ryan in the backfield and then put him out wide. And so you had P Ryan on a, on a linebacker. Well, it's the same thing. If you have five wide out there and you bring Copeland in, now you're running against a, a set that has a lot of defensive backs. And so you can hopefully sort of maul them and, and open up some holes. And if Copeland has the ability to take to the house, I mean, that's really the thing that was sort of missing from Florida's offense last year was being able to take, you know, I mean, he's not Percy Harvin. Nobody's going to be Percy Harvin. Mm -hmm. But one of the things about Percy Harvin was you gave him the ball, and it could be a touchdown anytime he touched it. And it's been a long time since Flores had that kind of guy. And if Copeland's that kind of guy, keep feeding him the ball, man. Yeah, and as you said, we just mentioned the wide the, the wide receiver depth and what they have there, and now some guys getting you know motion into the backfield and getting carries, and as deep as these these running backs are too. One thing that does 
come from that, and I think uh, a very positive that come from that is some unpredictability on offense. You don't know who's going to get the ball. Uh, as you mentioned, you, know, you, you have Copeland in the set, and he could get motion into the backfield where you have a, a numbers advantage, a schematic advantage, a, a size advantage. And tell you what, I mean, the depth that Florida has for this year, Will, you and I have talked about it, I think, plenty of times. Plenty of times. This is the year to strike, I, I think, for Florida. With what you have at quarterback with Felipe Franks, with all the skill talent that you have, and now maybe some unpredictability with with all that skill talent. You know, Mullen, you know, probably uh, in this offensive staff, probably licking their chops a little bit with all the options that they have. Yeah, well, I mean, the whole point is get the get the defense in a disadvantaged situation, and and if you've got guys who are versatile, which is what Mullen's been talking about, both on offense and defense, for the last couple of years, if you've got guys who are versatile, then you can put the defense in a position where they can't win no matter what they do, right? So if you can put Pitts at tight end and Crawl at tight end, and they can both block, but they can also catch. Well, then what does the defense do? They have to leave linebackers in for the running game or they have to bring out defensive backs to, to guard them on the wing. And, you know, you get somebody like, like Pitts out there who's six foot six and Kroll's not small either. Can you really put a corner on him? So how do you guard that? Same thing with Copeland. He's a big, fast receiver. If you can bring him in at the running back position, now you can give yourself an advantage by having an extra DB on the field. Or if they leave a linebacker in there, you call a play with him out wide, right? And then you get one-on-one against a linebacker. You get a linebacker in a zone coverage where you can drag across in front of him and, and can turn that into a big play. So, you know, Mullen's whole offense is predicated on getting the advantage, um, you know, that, that if they, that you want to get the defense into a single high safety to start taking deep shots, you want them to bring up that second safety to where you've got one-on-one and you can really go deep and, and running the ball enables you to do that. And really the personnel he's got should be able to put the defense in a, in a disadvantage on every play. And that's really going to bode well for the offense. All right. Uh, talking about boding well for the offense, Will, uh, your last article I read in Reaction uh, highlighted Felipe Franks and, and the good things that he was able to do and maybe translating into the 2019 season. Yeah, I mean, it sort of looked at the differences between what he was doing when he was at when he was playing against Kentucky and, and Missouri and and what he was doing, you know, in those Florida State in the Florida State Michigan game. And there was an interesting sky cam um Skycam view for the Michigan game where you could actually see some of what he was seeing when he was on the field. And, you know, Michigan came in and played a ton of single high safety, which means, hey, it's going to be Frank's time. I mean, he's got to go out there and throw the ball. And he did. And you could sort of see, you could see the progression from early in the year to late in the year. And you could see it in the stats too, where he was completing, I think, something like 14% of his passes <laughs> over 20 yards in in the three losses. But then in the last four games, he was up around 52, 53, 54%, and a 65% pass. Over the Idaho game, I think he was like 63%. So, you know, if, if the Franks of the last four games shows up this year, you're talking about a really, really good quarterback. I don't think you're probably talking about a Heisman level quarterback. I mean, I don't think that's probably where he's ended up, but you're talking about somebody who can really go toe to toe with somebody like Jake Fromm. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got a guy who can go toe to toe with George's quarterback, well, now you've got a real chance to win that game. The game starts tilting more towards 50 50 than 70 30. I don't care. You know, if you're if you're a more talented team, you're going to win a lot of the time. But if the quarterbacks are equivalent or if Florida's quarterback wins that battle, you know, then then obviously that that sort of tilts the scales, <laughs> regardless of whether you're more talented at defensive tackle or something like that. So, you know, I, I think people look at it and say, the last four games of last year were either a mirage and we're going to go back to the inconsistency or they were a step forward for Franks. And I think at media day, you heard Mullen and you heard Franks talk about the progression that he'd made, but you, you know, that can just be talk, mm-hmm. but you can actually see it in the film. 
And that's one of the things that really gives me encouragement heading into the year. It's one of the reasons why I'm, <laughs> I, I would have said three or four months ago, I was figuring we were probably more on the teeter totter, but the more I've looked at it and the more I've looked at what happened from early in the year to late in the year, um, you know, I, I think we can be pretty confident that Franks maybe won't be as good as he was against Florida State and Michigan, but it's going to be a lot better than he was against Kentucky and Missouri and Georgia. And I think that means Florida's going to be more consistent. So, yeah, go over there, check it out. There's a bunch of clips that look at uh, that, that break down some of the stuff that he was doing early in the year and late in the year. And uh, I think it's an interesting read. Uh, what else you got coming up? I mean, I yeah, know so, you, te- you teased a little bit earlier. Yeah, I'll be looking a little bit at some some of what uh, some of the better quarterbacks were doing against Grantham's defense, um, and why that really sort of points to LSU, South Carolina, and Georgia being that key stretch. And I, I got a few other things coming up. I'll probably be writing about recruiting since uh, this is this is right around the time where I think you can get a gauge for where the class is going to be. So we'll be talking about that a little bit too. All right. Check Will out at readandreaction.com. Of course, that's where you can get uh, his great work. And um, we'll uh, later on this week here on Gators Breakdown, uh, joined by Mark Rogers. So we'll take a look at FSU Miami previews. Also, episode released yesterday as well. Uh, if you missed that, with uh, Pick Six previews joining in and an interview with Travez Johnson from Bartram Trail, the co- defensive back commit uh, there for the 2019 class uh, for the Gators. Will, anything else, man? No, nah, man, just good to be back. Good to sort of get back on the horse. And it's about to start, Dave. We're about to have three straight months of of no breaks. Thank God there's three bye weeks this year for us, too. Yeah, that's right. Hey, that's a good point. I did not uh, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's always exciting. You know, we had the first preseason game. The Hall of Fame football game was on this week. And uh, none of the starting quarterbacks actually started. So about five minutes in, I turned it off. But that that is the demarcation line for when football season actually starts for me and when I start to get excited. So, um, you know, camp started a couple of weeks early this year, which was which was exciting but it still doesn't feel right you know in early july but uh but not the hall of fame games come and we got the miami game coming up in less than three weeks it's time to go man yep as uh i've definitely mentioned gators break down three episodes a week from here on out as we get as we get through football season so from now till the end of december three episodes a week uh for for gators breakdown so that's will miles you can find him on twitter at will miles sec and again his site read and reaction Dot com. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>